0: Welcome to Around Kansas. I'm Deb Goodrich and I'm Michelle Martin and we're going to talk about guess what Abraham Lincoln in Kansas today and behind me is this beautiful sculpture and I can't think of the guy's first name. The last name is Gage but this magnificent sculpture is in Mount Hope Cemetery at 17th and Fairlawn in Topeka. So it's worth taking a drive through the cemetery just to see this. It's really a magnificent sculpture.
1: And today behind me, you see parts of historic downtown Leavenworth, a place that candidate Abraham Lincoln visited when he was making his uh, run for the presidency.
0: So, of course, there's a couple of famous stories that come out of Leavenworth when Abe visited in 1859. And I think Michelle and I told you about a couple of artifacts that are at the Frontier Army Museum on post at Leavenworth, Um, a, a beer pitcher from which Abraham Lincoln was served beer and a carriage he rode in and some pretty cool stuff. At St. Mary's College there in Leavenworth, there is the only known letter signed by Abraham and Mary Lincoln both. So that is another real, really cool artifact. There is a statue of Lincoln on the courthouse lawn in Leavenworth. And there's a plaque at 4th and Delaware that marks the spot where he spoke and sort of tried out uh, some of his campaign speeches. I think um, the story is that he kind of practiced his Cooper Union address that was delivered in New York that really uh, introduced him to the nation in a way. And he practiced that in, in Leavenworth. And of course the biggie in Leavenworth is he was there on December 2nd, 1859, when John Brown was executed in Virginia. And when asked his comments, he said that while we, i paraphrasing, while we applaud his convictions, we condemn his actions. So. Uh, so many connections with his Kansas visit and especially Troy and Elwood and um, Leavenworth and that sort of that northeast corner. Apparently he stopped in St. Joe before he crossed the river and got a haircut. That's the, that's the story from St. Joe. So a lot of, lot of stories over there too.
1: And you know, Deb, if memory serves correct, the stage upon which he practiced his Cooper Union address was one that also hosted none other than John Wilkes Booth when he was traveling the country uh, doing Shakespearean drama and other plays. And I mean, think of the irony that both men had stepped upon and delivered words and remarks of some kind or another from the same stage. And of course, then we fast forward uh, to the close, uh, You as we're in these closing days of the Civil War, and then, of course, that awful night at Ford's Theater. So, uh, just the irony, and that they came together in Kansas, which was such a flashpoint leading up to the war. Because, as we, as as you and I both maintain steadfastly, Kansas is the true birthplace of the American Civil War.
0: Absolutely, and one of the reasons I I would um, argue that uh, Lincoln has more impact in shaping Kansas than any other president, because he is the president when Kansas achieved statehood. And of course, um, Lincoln's election divided the union, and Kansas came in as a free state, and much of the union left. You know, We've all heard people say, oh, if so and so is elected, I'm leaving. Well, that's what the South did. Lincoln was elected, and they left. They chose not to be part of it. So, that of course had a tremendous impact on Kansas. But perhaps more importantly is the fact that Lincoln appointed so many office holders in the new state. So, probably at no other time did a um, president have more impact on what a state would, would become and how it was shaped. So, yeah, an incredible, incredible legacy.
1: Also, you know, Lincoln had kinfolk in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had kinfolk there. He also had, from what we can tell, a fairly close relationship with Kansas Senator James Henry Lane.
0: Uh, yeah, um, he he famously remarked, I, "I don't know what to do with him," you know. And it's amazing if you've read Team of Rivals or see the movie Lincoln. He keeps all these brilliant politicians in the air like spinning plates but um, he said that Lane confounded him. And mm-hmm. of course, Lane was very, very uh, crucial to Lincoln's success in many ways, helped secure the nomination for him, uh, yep. protected him with the, uh, with the Frontier Guard You know, when he was first elected. And what a story that is. You just can't, you can't make this stuff up, Michelle, like we're all, always
1: saying. Yeah. I mean, you know, Yes, the film Lincoln did a fantastic job unraveling all these complex relationships. But seriously, folks, um, Hollywood couldn't write a more interesting story than the relationship between Lane and Lincoln. And of course, that goes back to Kansas and uh, Lane's almost larger than life role in the territorial period. And I think it's fascinating that Lincoln realizes very quickly that to... Have sway in Kansas, he needs to court Lane. And he needs to have that connection to Lane.
0: I think it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. I think that um, Lane, because he, you know, is so steadfast in supporting Lincoln, and because he protects him in the those early days in the White House, he gets Lincoln's ear. So it doesn't matter who the other senator is, it doesn't matter who the governor is, you know, Charlie Robinson. It doesn't matter. He's got Lincoln's ear, so he's the one that people are sucking up to to get all these appointments. He is the most powerful man in Kansas because of his relationship with Lincoln, and yeah, what a what a relationship.
1: Poor poor Charles Robinson, because (laughs) you know Robinson comes along with his wife Sarah Tappan Doolittle Lawrence Robinson. Try putting that on a driver's license. He comes with Sarah. And, you know, they're there really doing this heavy work to get folks to come in on behalf of the New England Emigrant Aid Company. And he's the governor. And the governor, really, in some respects, has less power than Kansas's senator, James Henry Lane. And it's almost like Robinson gets kind of shut out of that little, that tat tat, that relationship between Lane and Lincoln. He doesn't yep. fit in that in that power structure. And so he's kind of on the outside, which is really, I guess if you're, if you're Robinson, that's a little sad, a little ironic, given how much you gave up and how much you did work for the admission of Kansas to the Union as a free state.
0: And then you got this nutcase, Jim Lane, who's getting all the glory. And of course, bless his heart, Jim Lane, after Lincoln is assassinated, um, Jim, um, of course, committed suicide, you know, his, his political star fell quite rapidly. And yeah. a lot of his uh, um, chickens were coming home to roost and he couldn't deal with it. So, mm-hmm. or, or whatever, who knows why somebody does that. But yeah, but after, after Lincoln, he, he never had quite that same kind of friend in Washington again. And so, yeah, his political sway in Kansas was pretty much done
1: fascinating with Lincoln's visit to Kansas, uh, and especially going through Leavenworth and other areas. I love looking at how the newspapers pick up and run Mm -hmm. stories about his visit. And you can very quickly tell the political timber of a particular newspaper, uh, simply by the headlines and the commentaries they provide of Lincoln's visit. So it's really amazing to me, um, you know, the, the coverage is so diametrically opposed to one another. It's just such opposite perceptions of Lincoln as a candidate, as um, a potential leader, uh, even as a, as, a, as a human being. Um, we think that, we tend to think of polarization as a current issue in politics but it's been with us all along. There's a reason why when George Washington left office, he talked about fearing the rise of two-party political systems because it would lead to inexorable division. And if we look in Kansas at this time period and nationally, we're as divided then as we are now. And so, but Lincoln ends up becoming this public lightning rod for so much of that. And that's tested in Kansas.
0: It certainly is. You know, one of the things when I was doing, uh, when I was living at Topeka Cemetery and and doing a lot of tours, I would, um, I actually developed a tour on the Lincoln connections in the cemetery. And it was huge. There were tons of people there that he had um, appointed to ambassadorships, to federal marshals. all kinds of connections there in the Topeka cemetery so that's just one you know one cemetery in Kansas and there are dozens of others that are the resting places of some of uh, Lincoln's political appointments so again a tremendous impact on the sunflower state
1: and we also can't forget to mention one of I think the most charming lincoln kansas connections and that is lincoln's little correspondent grace bedell uh, up in delfos uh, yep. who writes to him and tell implores him to grow some chin whiskers because she thinks he would be i guess more attractive as a candidate or president and uh that correspondence is charming and it really you know gives you some insight into lincoln the man
0: yeah that's a very sweet story and Uh, Grace married a banker there in Delphos and for years uh, those letters or at least one of those letters hung on the bank wall there in Delphos and there is a marker on town square that uh, commemorates um, that little correspondent and uh, of course Grace is buried in the I visited her grave. I think she's buried there in the um, city cemetery not too far from downtown. So tons of Kansas Lincoln connections go exploring when you can and uh, again tell them Deb and Michelle sent you they'll they'll wonder where you got all this terrific information so you'll have to let them know.
1: Let me know one more Kansas connection with Lincoln is Boston Corbett.
0: Oh yeah a biggie.
1: Or Boston Corbett in the past. As a matter of fact Deb I believe I remember a really great road trip that you and I took Uh, we went up to Delphos uh, and we were at the bank and at the marker and we went to the cemetery. We were en route trying to find Boston Corbett's dugout and looking for uh, where he lived and his very permanent lifestyle. Uh, So yeah, folks, I mean, the Lincoln connections in Kansas run deep.
0: They run deep. Stay with us. We'll be right back. to the Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center right here in my hometown of Oakley, Kansas. We're the front door of Western Kansas, located on three main highways, I-70, U.S. 83, and U.S. 40. And all those roads lead to history, beautiful scenery, and adventure, no matter which direction you go. We now have an IHOP brand that you've trusted up and down the road in all your travels is staffed with local folks, real people, just like you and me, and we're waiting on you to join us. So for fun, adventure, fuel up, fuel your body, and let's have some fun. Howdy. I'm Seth Hayes, and welcome to my hometown, from then to now. Council Grove has a rich history, as deep as the prairie tall grass. Spend the day visiting 25 historic sites, or explore the unique shops and restaurants. Mosey out of town along the Santa Fe Trail. Y'all visit my hometown, Council Grove, in the heart of the Flint Hills.
1: michelle martin welcome back to
0: around kansas and if you're wondering what this little screaming mimi is behind me here this is the adorable little kangaroo rat usually adorable i don't know what he saw if he saw a ghost if he saw um i think they're prey for just about every animal on the planet so he could have seen just about anything but yeah bless his heart cotton mid-screen
1: I absolutely am fascinated with the kangaroo rat because I have actually been to Australia and have had the chance to hand feed kangaroos and wallabies. And of course, they have a similar leg and foot structure to the kangaroo rope. So I find the rat version and the kangaroo (laughs) and the wallaby versions equally adorable.
0: They are fascinating little creatures and I had never seen them and one night Jake and I were driving home late at night and I'm like what is that in the headlights and he's like it's a kangaroo rat and I'm like oh my god these like little miniature kangaroos hopping across the the road and so when I started researching these little creatures they are fascinating fascinating and you're going to learn about them in this really cool segment. Kangaroo rats? Well, because they look like little kangaroos hopping across the road in your headlights. Yes, they hop. They can, in fact, hop a distance of six feet, nine feet on a good day. This remarkable rodent can even change direction mid hop. They are bipedal, meaning they use two feet instead of all four. They are four toed little beasts with big hind legs, small front legs, and relatively large heads. The tails of kangaroo rats are longer than both their bodies and their heads. Another notable feature of kangaroo rats are their fur-lined cheek pouches, which are used for storing food. Their coloration varies from cinnamon buff to dark gray, depending on the species. The ord kangaroo rat, found in the western half of Kansas, is cinnamon buff. They are rarely seen during the day, burrowing in sandy soil till nightfall, when they appear to be food for nearly every other creature on the plains. Coyotes, foxes, badgers, weasels, owls, and every slithering snake imaginable feast on the little fellers. Since they primarily feed on seeds, they gather as many as they can and stuff them into their little pouches. Thus, they spend their time outside the burrow gathering and hoarding and wait till they get back to the nest to begin digesting their haul. They do not need much water. Instead, breaking down seeds with their metabolism making them ideal survivors in the arid landscapes of the high plains they can also conserve water by lowering their metabolic rate which reduces loss of water through their skin and respiratory system another fascinating feature of these little guys is their complex burrow system the burrows have separate chambers for specific purposes like sleeping living and food storage The spacing of the burrows depends on the number of kangaroo rats and the abundance of food. Kangaroo rats also live in colonies that range from six to several hundred dens. The burrow of a kangaroo rat is important in providing protection from the harsh desert environment. To maintain a constant temperature and relative humidity in their burrows, kangaroo rats plug the entrances with soil during the day. When the outside temperature is too hot, a kangaroo rat stays in its cool, humid burrow and leaves it only at night. To reduce loss of moisture through respiration when sleeping, a kangaroo rat buries its nose in its fur to accumulate a small pocket of moist air. The next time you see the buff-colored little rodent crossing the road, you might take a moment to marvel at what an interesting little creature he is.
1: Okay, hey, looks like it's time for our tour. Welcome to the Fort Wallace Museum. Here at the museum, you're gonna find some really interesting stuff like our replica stagecoach from the Butterfield Overland Dispatch. We've got facades from the Fort Buildings, and we've got an 1870s flag. There's a plesiosaur that was discovered locally. We've got the Ray Pump organ collection. We're a little b place with a great big story, and we'd love to have you. In
0: 1821, A trade route was opened from Missouri in the United States, across prairies and mountains to Mexico. In 2021, we will mark 200 years of epic conflicts and grand adventures, larger than life personalities, and sweeping landscapes. Join us on an historic journey. The Santa Fe Trail lives on. Find us on social media or santafetrail.org.
1: To around Kansas, I'm Michelle Martin.
0: And I'm Deb Goodrich, and look at these smiling faces behind me. All these kids that won ribbons at the Wallace County Fair. I think this was last year, um, or maybe, gosh, COVID, I can't keep up with the years now, but um, yeah, those beautiful faces, those kids with their ribbons at the Wallace County Fair.
1: And behind me, we see an image from the Kansas State Fair in days gone by. You know, Deb, the um, 1885 the Kansas State Fair was bragging because they were drawing in over 10,000 people to come to the fair a year. And now the State Fair draws over 350,000 people.
0: Yeah, there's 10,000 people in one building alone now. And of course, everybody goes to see the um, sculptures made out of butter. You know that's a highlight. That's actually pretty incredible. Uh, it really is pretty amazing. They do some they do some wonderful things with butter these days. So, yeah, the Kansas State Fair is uh, really wonderful. Um, held at the State Fairgrounds in Hutch every year, um, except for last year, I think. Um, Andy uh, Obermiller is going to be there this year with his Ad Astra magazine. So you go by his booth and say hello. And I think he's going to be in the building with all the ag folks, you know, the the beef producers and the corn producers and uh, the wheat producers and, and all that cool stuff. So I think he's going to be in the same building with the butter sculpture. So he'll have a front row seat for that.
1: You know, I'm always amazed Deb at the fair with those butter sculptures, especially in Kansas how they don't end up melting. Oh my gosh. Well, They've got that
0: big refrigerated room with the glass, you know, with, you can see through the glass, but they got that big refrigerated room in there because yeah, I mean, you'd have to have a bunch of biscuits to, if that stuff started melting, because um, yeah, that that would be, that'd be a swimming pool full of butter. I have a, have a feeling. And of course, in addition to the state fair, you've got all the wonderful county fairs. And those, uh, like the Wallace County Fair behind me, and I know that a lot of small towns in Kansas um, own their own fair equipment. So it's not like um, the roadies that come in, you know, when I was growing up, that's the way it was, the yeah. roadies come in and travel from town to town. No, they own their own fair equipment, you know, their, their merry-go-round, their uh, Ferris wheel, all that stuff tilt the whirl i love the tilt whirl they own that stuff and they maintain it and they put it up so it's your friends and neighbors that are taking uh your life into their hands not some stranger so that's a that's a very comforting thought i think
1: yeah definitely uh but then we do have counties that don't own their own equipment and we do still have those carnival employees who come through and are bringing in the games the midway attractions and the rides um you know i lived in crawford and bourbon county and so my experience was with the bourbon county fair primarily in fort scott and uh, in that area and um, i have to say deb it's not just those young people that are smiling with their ribbons who like that i know grown-ups who like it too As a matter of fact, I know many ladies in Fort Scott who've entered their quilting pieces, their sewing pieces, their pies, their cakes, their cookies, their jams and jellies and preserves, and um, I will confess to having entered my photographs in the fair, and I was pretty darn excited to get ribbons for my photos.
0: Well, I was really excited. I was in the Surrey County Fair in uh, uh, North Carolina, and then the Dixie Classic Fair, which is for Northwest North Carolina, with flower arrangements, and I got a bunch of red and blue and purple ribbons that I'm pretty proud of. I still have those packed in a trunk so, somewhere, so yeah, those ribbons, um, I don't care what age you are, it's, it's pretty cool to get those, and of course, a lot of the kids, you know, are raising livestock, yeah. to. And- in the fair and that is a real commitment um these kids are amazing you know with the dedication they put into that because that's that's no easy task and then if you're taking those to the state fair to compete um you know that involves the whole family seriously pulling together to make it happen so kudos to those kids for for all their hard work and the pride they take in in the competition
1: and you know deb i don't think A lot of people who live in large metro areas who don't think about things like the county fair or the state fairs realize not just the experience that it gives our young people and even our adults, but the economic impact of the county and state fair is unbelievable. The money that comes through a town, uh, you have people staying in the hotels, they're eating in restaurants they're in your shops. Uh, That is a huge economic benefit for any community that hosts a fair. And so I really hope now that some places are doing so much better with respect to COVID that we're able to have our fairs and bring that sense of community, uh, that friendly, well, sometimes not so friendly competition, But also that economic benefit back to our communities, especially in rural America. That is so important. And knowing who
0: raised the biggest pumpkin is really important, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really look forward to that. Michelle, I don't know about you, but where I grew up, um, fairs were in the fall. So that's been a huge adjustment to me in Kansas to get used to having fairs in the summertime because, you know, it was sweater weather when we had falls. Of course, all that revolves around the harvest, you know, so that's um, that's what determined fair season, you know, for decades and decades and decades. So our harvest was primarily in the fall with, with tobacco and, and um, apples and, you know, those tobacco and apples being probably the biggest crops that um, were, were put in uh, by the fall and so then it was fair time. So I kind of miss wearing sweaters to the fair. Well,
1: you know, Deb, I grew up in Michigan. And for me, uh, for us, if we pushed our fair off until the fall, you ran the risk of, believe it or not, it's not snow. you ran the risk of really cold, rainy, nasty weather or snow. So uh, for us, fairs were always July, August. So you were getting to the mid to the latter point of summer and of course Michigan is extremely humid that time of the year but I have really great memories of going to the fair going to uh, the county fair and uh, riding the rides and eating the cotton candy and the elephant ears and and the fried Twinkies and all those things you shouldn't have Uh, but I have great memories of going and um eating all those fun things, and ri- and then riding the rides, and hoping that after I rode the Tilt-A-Whirl, I didn't get sick.
0: Well, one um, real great advantage to the photographers out there is that the fairs offer some wonderful photo opportunities, mm-hmm. so if you've got some of those to share from your fairs, um, please share them on Around Kansas. We'd We'd love to um, highlight those and and your communities as well. So it's a great opportunity to brag on your community and what a great fair you have going on. I know Heather and I were up in Oberlin for the Decatur County Fair a few years ago, which was absolutely beautiful. The community works so hard like all these little communities do. It's just a it really is an, a, a wonderful event. And like you said, the economic impact, a lot of the civic clubs you know, take advantage of the fair for fundraisers, you know, that sell the, the hamburgers, the hot dogs, the kettle corn, and all that stuff, and, and that is a, a, a big boost to the community.
1: Yeah, and you know, to help our viewers, Deb, we're going to share with you a website that is really the clearinghouse for all Kansas fairs, whether it be the state fair and all of the county fairs, So, you can go ahead and take a look at that schedule and figure out which ones are closest to you and which ones you might want to go visit and partake in this year.
0: Wouldn't Uh, it be cool to do a road trip of just county fairs, just go from one to the other? Wouldn't that be a great way
1: to see Kansas? uh, That would be a fantastic way to see Kansas because then you're seeing the variety in every county. You're gonna see different livestock, different agricultural production. You're gonna see what's important in each county shown there for everybody uh, through the fair. So, oh, that would be a fantastic. As a matter of fact, that would make a really great documentary.
0: I know it would, it?
1: And visiting people and interviewing them, um, especially our young people to see which livestock they're raising and why. And, boy, I'll tell you what, there's nothing that tugs at your heartstrings more than at the end of the fair. If someone has, a young person has an opportunity to sell the calf or the cow or the livestock they've raised. I've seen many tears shed when they've had to say goodbye to that animal, even though they know it's, they should really call that calf or that cow hamburger, because that's what it's going to end up. It still is really hard when you've invested so much of yourself and so much time into raising that animal.
0: It really is. Bless their hearts. Well, folks, um, hope you enjoy fair season. And again, let us know how it went. Share some of your photos with us and share all the special things about your little towns. So in the meantime, I'm Deb. And I'm Michelle. And we will see you somewhere around Kansas.